I circled it back. You circled it I'm back. I'm incredible. <laughs> I circled it all back. I tied a bow on it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. We're, we're great at this. call ourselves the album consumers a group of friends dedicated to a singular purpose listening to one album a day and discussing that shared experience after having weighed the merits of over 500 albums to date you might think that we would start to slow down a bit turns out we're just getting warmed up this is the album consumers podcast Let's get to it. Put your booty hole into it. Let's get to it. You know, this is hitting this brand. This is our silver jubilee, and this is how you start the show. This is the twenty-fifth time we're doing this, and you start with that. Really? I had to. I had to give the people what they wanted, so I did it, and now it's done. This is album consumers. Let's be honest. It's less the people. It's more Jimmy. Stick with the brand you pick. That's that's I respect I respect sticking with a brand from a from a professional from a professional standpoint I respect the commitment. Yeah, I right. believe in in artistic integrity and synergy and all of those buzzwords that are on your corporate bingo. Okay, so yours is booty holes. Mine is liking things that are out outdated and obsolete. What's yours then, Scott? Uh. Being awesome, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have a good. I don't have a good riff on. I don't have a good riff here. I'm just gonna say I'm the one that. I'm the one that people like. That's true. That's what I've taken away from. Measured every no, man all responses of, all, from from the non-existent feedback that I have uh, <laughs> acquired through unknown I'm the one means. That people, I'm the one that people like in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott is the one that people like. Greg is the one that people find puts up interesting discussions and arguments and i'm the one that people would like to stop talking so it's perfect (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to the album like old time you do like old timey things though that is an accurate statement based on fact i do like old timey things that's very true i am suffering from excessive oldness in you my, have an old. You have a. You have an old. Your old spirit. That's how we phrase that. That's how we spin that. Very good. This is the twenty-fifth time we've gone around, and the twenty-fifth time that we've put together. Our, we've the twenty-fifth time we've committed our thoughts to this medium here on the Album Consumers, where, of course, as you know by now, if you've listened to any of our past episodes or been following along on social media. We like to listen to an album a day and discuss the shared experiences amongst us, a group of nine, although there's only three of us on this particular podcast. So where should we begin this week? We should probably begin with the simple fact, Greg, why don't you give them the lineup of the albums that we may or may not talk about this week? So what's on the available docket for this evening at yes. Pick 541, Gang of Fours Entertainment, released in 1979. Uh, pick 542. Uh, can you do the pronunciation for me? I don't want to mess it up. I want to be I want to be sensitive to to this particular artist. 
Oh, that's me. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I just believe it's a Fela Cootie. Way to be on the ball, buddy. The album was Zombie, released in 1977. Pick 543, introducing dot, 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 Aaron Fraser, released in 2021. Uh, pick 544, the psychedelic furs Talk Cubed, a.k.a. Talk, 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 released in 1981. Uh, pick 545, Ugly Casanova's Sharpen Your Teeth, released in 2002. And the most recent selection, pick 546, Pete Yorn's Nightcrawler, released in 2006. Scott, Chris, opening thoughts about the week that was just as an overarching, just reception to the week of music. It's very broad ranging. I know that's not like saying a ton. We like to, we hit a lot of different, we had a, we had a big scope on most weeks, but you know, we, we went from, Afrocentric world altering tunes to Pete Yorn just doing a, doing his doing his thing. You know, nice broad ranging week. Good work, everyone. We brought a lot of interesting things to talk about. Yeah, I know everyone was disappointed. I didn't particularly bring the Kraken as you were goading me into trying to goad me into last week. But you know, I just I realized the more I thought about it, the more I like what you guys said. I don't really have one. So I decided nope. to go in a direction that I thought Admission. was interesting. Yes. No, I, I do have nope. one, but I would, as you said, be selling myself way short. We never need to hear about the, the punishment season ever again. Let it be known. Let no. joy ring from the rooftops and the podcast commence. No, no, you'll hear Without from it. You'll hear from it again. Coming back again. I'll have forgotten in a few months and then I, I'll Fela Kuti. And I will do my Fela Kuti did it. Once brought again. it to us. And, and and I will I will say this that it takes a big man to look at his landscape and admit that it is just beautiful. It is a yeah, quality is <laughs> quality and, and of, of majestic sound, and there is not a dark space in the Lion King to be noticed in anywhere in your musical Sahara. It just doesn't exist. It's just not there, which is fine. We all have cesspools and you just happen to be on a higher plane. Congratulations. Oh, I applaud now you. you make me sound holier than thou, and I'm definitely not that. Buddy, buddy, I got some bad news for you. <laughs> please tell me. Please enlighten bad, me. I got some bad news for you. I usually listen back to this podcast once or twice. From a musical standpoint, you're a little holier than thou. I got some <laughs> bad news. I hate to break it to you. I hate to be the bearer of bad oh, news. No. You start a lot of you start a lot of commentary pointing out how highfalutin you are about music criticism and music selection. I got. I'm sorry that I got to be the one that lets you know that. Actually, yeah, a little bit, a little I, bit, a little bit. I'm di I'm dying. I can't breathe. <laughs> I'm sorry we got to be the ones to, to, to disavow you of that notion. What you didn't know is that this was an album consumer's intervention and we wanted to talk about this. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to the uh, album consumers. We'll see you next week. Scott, I Greg, think, love I you. Think we owe, I think we owe Chris uh, the opportunity to just gush about fellow Cootie for like 10 minutes now. I feel like that's I feel like that's where this has to go from here on. And that's, and that's where I want to it now. That's where I want to start, and Scott is imbibing in the vibes, and we're just going to let Chris I'm, I'm, and, and also just imbibing. Yeah, then just imbibing on top of all that. Just going to let Chris cook. 
for about five to 10 minutes about why he loves this so much. And then we'll kind of interject along the way. I mean, I don't think I necessarily have a strong five or 10 minutes to explain why I like it. I like origin stories. Good. And if you... <laughs> I'm, I'm, not here. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, just, hello, I'm waiting to help the discussion. I got thoughts. I'm looking forward. Hello, to it. man. Oh, he's, man he's talking here. Today. Yeah, I got. I got thoughts. My point is, I like origin stories, and here we're going back to the very beginning. This is the progenitor of what we consider Afrobeat, and there's so many different genres and so many different parts of genres and parts and parts of genres and subgenres that have splintered off of Afrobeat in the 50, 55 years since it came into existence. And just to go back to basically where it all began, granted, I pulled a record that was, you know, almost a decade into the genre's existence, but... But it ends up defining the genre. It's one it's one of the it's one of the albums that defines the genre. It's one of the songs that defines the artist. I mean, I pulled the album Zombie came out in 1977 which was a commentary at, of the time on Nigerian soldiers which was a huge hit throughout Africa. Not just in Nigeria, it's a hit throughout Africa. And basically it was using the zombie metaphor to describe the methods of the Nigerian military at the time. And they didn't like that. They didn't like that one bit, a.k.a. They the took military. Offense. They took offense. They, they took a little offense. <laughs> yes. they. Uh, the record label, uh, like his studio and instruments and master tapes were destroyed. Uh, a commune that Fela had established called Kalakuta Republic was burned. It was attacked by 1,000 soldiers, mind you. He was severely beaten, and his elderly mother was thrown from a window, causing fatal injuries. <laughs> I mean... We've had some, like, emotional, like, very noteworthy emotional album intros. This was the... F this this was like a, where is this story going? And ended with his mother getting thrown out of a window. It was it was a journey when you explained why this was coming. It was a it was a true journey. Yeah. More it was oh. classic it, it was classic uh Will Farrell as Ron Burgundy. Boy. Man, that escalated. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really jumped up a notch. Like it was just like, "Oh, boom, 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 boom. Mom out the second story window and now yeah. we're in it." But now it's, we're in it. Even better. He responded once he had recovered from his injuries by delivering his mother's coffin to the main army barracks in the city. And he even wrote two songs about it. One called, un afterwards, one called Unknown Soldier and the other called Coffin for Head of State. This that is, is a man who gave no Fs and I salute it. No. I mean, once you throw you guy's mother out a window and burn his commune down, <laughs> what, else, what, other, what other Fs does he left have, have left to give? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. All bets are off at that point. It's like, oh, you're going to yeah. get my mom involved and, and 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 chuck her out the window. Then gloves off. Let's let's do yeah, it. Out. Let's get it. And whereas they heard something, the soldiers heard something extremely offensive and angersome. We're listening to it, and it's this wonderfully upbeat, danceable, wonderfully repetitive, rhythmic, pleasant example of Afrobeat. I mean, yeah, the lyrics do get into the material that would make them angry when they finally come around, which is at like the five or six minute mark of a 12 minute song, mind you. But it's just everything. It has everything that I love about Afrobeat. It has that rhythm. It has the saxophones. It has, and that was his 
primary instrument was the saxophone. So that was his contribution. He didn't just sing. He didn't just throw it together. He was actually a very talented saxophone player on top of that. That has the guitar work. It, you know, Tony Allen plays percussion throughout most of the first, throughout most of the decade of the 70s for, for Fela. And Tony Allen, Scott, you would recognize from his associations later on in the early 2000s with Damon Albarn. Longtime collaborator, okay. Damon. He, okay. he played drums in The Good, The Bad, and The Queen for both of their records. Beautiful. So that explains a lot of Damon's love and his use of Afrobeat rhythms throughout the course of his material. But it's just, it, I don't want to say it's, it's, there's just something, primal's a bad word for it, but there's just something that once it gets into the your core, into the core of your soul, it just moves you in the sense that it actually, in like for me, it inspires me to want to dance. And every time I listen to Fela, I just can't help but start to move and start to shake and start to groovin'. enjoy it. Yeah, you get a groove in and it's enjoyable. I think what you said is the most interesting. I, I have two thoughts, but what you said is probably the most interesting part of this to me is the way you set this up was with the story of the album and the artist. Mm-hmm. And I don't have, a, most of us, me, but me in particular, don't have like a strong history of, or awareness or understanding of Afrobeat. And we, you set it up with this story of this, what, when we hear from an American perspective, political album that infuriated the regime and mm-hmm. caused retaliatory violence, we don't think about something that sounds so surface level fun and like bright and enjoyable as this record. Like that's, that's not where this, this is not where I thought the story was necessarily leading. And it was a really interesting because you set it up. I, I didn't just, I immediately went to listening to the lyrics to figure out how the story went together because the music wasn't telling the emotional story that he's trying to get to. He's it's, it's kind of there. One is sort of, hiding the other for lack of a better term. And I found that pretty interesting. Yeah. And a lot of the lyrics, if you read it, it's, you know, zombie, no go, go, unless you tell am to go zombie, no go, no stop. Unless you tell am to stop. It goes on later on, go and kill, go and die, go and quench, put am for reverse, go and quench, go and kill, go and die. And it continues on just Mm -hmm. basically shouting out orders and acting as if, you know, they're compelled to obey those orders, not because they want to or have to, but because it's they are they're driven by some other forces and like AKA like a zombie would be. Yeah. But layered under this the like you said, these beats and saxophone that are like, Hey, let's go hit the dance floor. Yeah. And a call the dance floor and, and, and talk about and talk about how these soldiers are. Let's go let's go dance it out right now, guys. And it's a call it's a fun and, dichotomy. And it's a call and response too. It's it's a call and response where he sings a line, chorus of female backup singers sing a line back at you, sing a line back at you, sing a line back at you, and you can picture him in a live setting just baiting the audience to do the same yeah. thing. And they didn't perform necessarily a lot. I mean, they would tour and they would perform. It wasn't like they were doing a hundred dates a year or anything like that. But whenever they performed, it was an event wherever it was, mm-hmm. whether it was in Africa, whether it was in Berlin, Amsterdam, New York City, L.A., uh, London, all around the world. He drew big crowds wherever he went. There was this magnetism that existed with him. And 
when he passed away in the mid '90s, it said that a one million people attended his funeral. Ooh, big man, giant on the stage. My other note here is only that because I like you know that I've got like what I think of this album, and then I always try to loop these conversations back to the broader experiment that we've been doing to an extent. And like I realize that my only the closest thing to this, or that it was even notably influenced by this in my personal catalog. I mean, you can probably pick out a couple other ones for me, Chris, that I don't even recognize. But um, and not even the album I chose from this artist. But I'm a big Talking Heads fan, mm -hmm. and Talking Heads famously drift into like Afrobeat and world music uh, with. Uh, I'm going to blank on the big album, of course, because that's what I do, blank on album titles when I actually try to talk about them. Remain in Light, mm -hmm. where they, that really, and I, I didn't drop Remain in Light, but that's, I realized listening to this that that was really the, the, and that's not that close, but the only frame of reference I had to this, sonically, something that was influenced by this movement in a clear and present way. Yeah, uh, David Byrne was a big fan as well, and was, drew a lot of influence, so that makes perfect sense. Yeah, not shocking. Like a quick, quick and immediate connection I made listening to this. I have more thoughts too, but I want to hear what Greg has to say. So um, I, I brought up just because um, Scott brought up a really interesting point about Talking Heads utilizing uh, Afrobeat and kind of world beat music to some of their late 70s, early 80s sound as they were transitioning away from a little bit more of that manic energy not necessarily in a punk sense, but like a little bit more of just a no, very no, they're like frantic. they were definitely doing like a post-punk energy kind of thing, bringing it into what they were doing. That's fair. So I, I brought up just uh, there's a, a a site that I go to. I'm not going to give them free cred because if they want it, they can they can pay for it. Uh, but <laughs> there's a site that, there's a site that I go to that talks about influencers on an artist and influences that or people that recognize them as an influence. So I went to the the fella Cootie uh, one, and the ones that we dropped so far. Talking Heads, Oingo Boingo, Paul Simon, which I thought was an interesting one, but you oh, sure. do hear some of that in the mid to late 80s version yep, of Paul absolutely. Simon. Absolutely. Yeah. Peter Gabriel, which you, again, he you brought can like hear. African choirs to SNL. Like, yeah, you can. We, that's yeah. an easy that's an easy call. Peter Gabriel, which yeah. you get some of that in some of his late 70s work for sure. Uh, Even and his 90s Gil Scott work. Heron. Gil Scott Heron would be another one. Uh, oh, I forgot and, and, about that. That's a good album. I'm going to go listen to that. Yeah. That was another job. And, and those were some of the ones that Oingo Boingo in particular, because that was kind of the album I had in my head as I was listening to it, because that uses some of that Afrobeat percussive experience, but just kind of filters it through Elfman's like mania rattled brain. And it's just like, I'm just going to throw all of this sonic noise at you that's just haphazard but you can hear the rhythm you can hear that beat you can hear that percussive nature and the flow behind all of it was very reminiscent i heard that here and another thing i was really fascinated by was the meshing of traditional and what would have been considered modern in the late 60s and early 70s the very standard african uh, rhythm sections and kind of the call and response nature of vocals mixed with the use of saxophone and just kind of how that would have been kind of in vogue as an instrumentation at that time. I thought that was really fascinating to see the two meshings of a modern sound and a traditional sound, not from a Western perspective, but from an African perspective, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And Afrobeat comes from a lot of different genres. Again, it is a, com a com combination of traditional and modern, uh, a lot of Yoruba percussion, a lot of American funk and jazz, uh, an African genre known as high life. 
that was big in the 1960s that started in Ghana. 60s and and before High Life actually goes all the way back to the 1870s. But it's like you he meshed all these things together. He could read the room at the time, mesh it all together, and came up with something that was very, very much... It, it feels ingrained almost in African culture, even though it's relatively new, 55 years we're talking now. But at the same time, it feels... Like he he could see the future and he knew where to go with it. And he created something mm-hmm. that was very much rooted in the past, but with an eye towards the, the future. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, and I've, yeah. I've got I, I, I got nothing negative to say about this. It was a great drop. It was fun. Uh, you always are wary of the four songs, 53 minutes. You're like, well, that's I what I was going to That's what I was going to get into. The challenge for me then became because I knew I wanted to drop him at some point in time. But the challenge is you look at most of the albums that he released and the albums that are available out there through the mediums that we use. And it's three songs, 35 minutes, four songs, 53 minutes, two songs, 25 minutes. Because it'd be like one You're so- entering jam band territory well, it's, at that it's, point. And, and, it's the and limit- that's, t- that's a tough hang sometimes. It's the limitations of vinyl back then. How many songs mm. can you fit on a side? How much time can you fit on a side? So and the '90s rap album problem with CDs was a similar issue that he experienced with his music with vinyl in the 1960s. Except that if if Tupac tried to release uh, "All Eyes on Me" back in the 1970s, it would have to be like on seven discs. Just a Bible. You're just <laughs> carrying around a a, a vinyl yeah. deck this big. But the problem, the the challenge becomes: How do I introduce this in a way? that the group will understand and appreciate, but also not look at and say, there's only two songs on here. It's either there's two songs and it feels too short, or I pull what we don't normally do in this group, a live record, a greatest hits compilation, and it's two and a half hours long. And then it just mm. tires you out. And Because there's two or three really good compilations out there through the streaming service that we all use. Again, not to give anyone any free promotion. There are two or three really good ones, but they're all over two and a half hours. And I know that that would mm. just. That would, would have been too much for me. 53 it, minutes was nice. Like anything more yeah. than that, I think I would have I would have lost attention. And that's just me. Like, again, my hour role is really yeah. arbitrary and kind of dumb. But like once I hit the it's hour mark, point. I'm like, like it's hey, I'm honest. I'll be upfront about it. Yeah. Like it's that's just where like my brain starts to wander after an hour. Like yeah. it's just like, oh, shiny. Like it's just my brain can't handle. An hour gets to be about where my cap yeah. is. So I thought that was really well done. But the selection was great. The day with it was awesome. And, yeah. and, um, that, and it's always nice to have your 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 mind expanded when it comes to music that you don't really have yeah. that much of a basis with. But that's why I picked what I did, because it's one that I really like. It's not my favorite, but the ones that have some of my favorite individual tracks. Again, you're talking two songs, 30 minutes. And I feel like that would have lost people because they would have been put off by it because they'd be looking for something more after that 30 minutes. Like, I'm ready to experience more. There is no more. Oh, okay. And then you're, tell- then so move it- you're telling people to try to go out and find it on their own, and I wanted to have something that would tell a story so they could know a direction to move in next from there. Speaking on moving to the next yeah. album here, Scott, what was your album from the week that you wanted to hone in on and spend a little bit of time with and, and give your take? And again, we'll kind of intersperse our thoughts along the way. But what was your take away from the week in terms of an, uh, an album selection? Well, for me, I the 
the one that I found myself most surprised by, and this is this is twice now that Dan has done this to me with a, a record from the uh, from the eighties, was the Psychedelic Furs record. Talk, talk, talk. Uh, we, this this felt like Boingo, 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 at which we have who has come up a couple times now. This felt like Oingo Boingo version two point but something I think I probably enjoyed even even more. The this isn't I hadn't heard this record. I've never uh this drop I, is he doing all his drops around eighties movies? I don't remember. I, I it was yeah, just like that's, this, yeah. this just so, yeah, he is. So the theme that's coming up for this, uh you know, my brother Dan dropped this album and his theme for this, as we've all kind of started getting along, getting into you know, really esoteric themes, uh, he's very centered. He's he centered his this season around 80s movie soundtracks and songs off of those soundtracks and blowing them out into the full albums that they were released from. So this was Pretty in Pink, and that's the yeah. primary single off of this album that's related to the 80s soundtrack. And Pretty in Pink is one of the 80s movies that has not made it. Like, I've, I've somehow managed to never watch that, despite seeing most of the movies in this um, genre and time period at least once or twice. And I thought this was really kind of a fascinating listen in how much of it has that very clear 80s synth horn sound, but the vocals are much more, like, ragged punk to post-punk and I feel like it's all held together in one way or another by the the guitars the guitars are like the bridge the, the, they bridge the gap that these two genres need to have filled in between them and it's one of those I not like it's not the Oingo Boingo reaction of why is this good help me my brain my brain won't tell me why I like this but this is definitely a my brain wants me to think this shouldn't work like I want I like going right into this right off the track with those what what is the instrument that plays right off the bat like is that just some weird synth that wah, 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 wah? like you're, talk, what is you're that? talking on dumb waiters correct yeah right off the bat whatever like the first sounds you hear like what it what is that does anybody know what the, what is being played there what is being used see now I'm going i feel like i'm only there. asking chris here but i'm not just saying chris um but whatever you can, that, ask, that, him direct, like a, you can ask him directly yeah, my ignorance is well established it's like like that right off the bat was like okay what's this going to be like and my brain wanted to say this should this doesn't work together, but it did. It was one of those records where the dichotomy, the differentiation, these like two seemingly disparate components were just brought together really well. I was I was impressed. I had fun with the whole record. Uh, it's like the third snipe to semi snipe of Mike on the season, and I'm really enjoying that as an ongoing theme where he complains about people dropping things that he just didn't want to drop. Like he even oh. did that with fellow Kuti to do a, to a smidge. I'm really enjoying it. But this was a he great was, listen. I was surprised how much I liked this. He was particularly salty about this one because I was the reason everybody why he liked didn't it. Drop it. Yeah, because oh, right. I was the one. Yes. I was the one who made it so he couldn't drop it during his 80s season because he gave me the power to choose years to block. If you give somebody veto power, you 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 reap what you you reap what you sow. And yes, he was he spent quite a bit of time over the course of the weekend. Was this the weekend drop, or just a regular day? I can't remember. But but this lamenting because we were all like, wow, this is really unexpectedly good like this is this is really nice i'm enjoying this you just, it, it, you just it tasted fun. the salt you tasted the yeah. salt his words yeah. you tasted the salt his man tears it was just yeah. so so salty and delicious and you're just like oh yeah. 
oh, this is the gamesmanship that he kind of hurls at us where it's like, I can't wait for this thing to lose early. I can't wait for this. Like, like just like those subtle little jabs. And this is like, the one that's going to knock Tupac out. This is the this one. This is the one. This is the yeah. one that's mm-hmm. going to wreak havoc on stuff throughout the, the end of the season tournament. And that's going to be fun. To answer Absolutely. your question, yeah, I was just, Scott. I was just surprised by how good of how. I'm not. I, I'm not like a like that hard '80s sound is not normally my thing, but this really worked for me. Yeah. To answer maybe, your question, maybe one Scott, of you can help me understand why. That's some weird. That's some weird ass ill-tuned, overprocessed saxophone going on at the beginning there. Is that what it is? Yeah, okay, and that's wow. that's one of the weird wow. calling cards of the psychedelic furs. More so because other bands weren't doing this in these areas back then. The experimentation with the different instruments. The sa- the, specifically the saxophone that's spread throughout their releases. Sounds like a bagpipe with flange. Like, yeah. it's wild. People weren't using saxophones in New Wave back then for the most Shame part. on them. And it's this weird mix of that New Wave and that art rock, that late 70s art rock, that early 80s New Wave, and you just crash them together in this singular instance and it makes a very striking sound it's a shame with that yeah. post-punk with that post-punk undertone though that yeah, like yeah. that art rock piece that you talk about these are like, but it had these are like basement tape vocals these yeah. are like these are basement tape vocals these yeah, are ragged yeah. it's too bad richard butler just can't sing he can't sing to save his life he can't he can't <laughs> he can't carry it co- yeah. he can't carry Crystal, a lay it down at all it, it he can't it's just he, he's he's a caterwauling off off tune robert pollard that's what he sounds like robert pollard's a better singer than richard butler but you know what it doesn't really matter because these songs are still so iconic in spite of it and because of it all at the same time i don't like him as a vocalist i can look past it but i don't think he's very good the rest of the band is fa- fantastic they're just all they're all at this peak of their powers in this moment and you can hear it and and speaking to scott your point about why this version of 80s music works i'm curious to know so the band that, you know, I, I think comes up when we ever, whenever we talk about this specifically in the context of the stuff that you grew up with or the stuff that you like or the stuff that you found along the way, and we just mentioned them, you know, about 10, 15 minutes ago, was Talking Heads. So I think mm-hmm. that that's the link from, say, early 70s to 90s music is like Talking Heads kind of fills a lot of that space. And they're a very specific sounding band with a very specific unique vocalist and there's not a ton like that in the 80s so if you look at stuff like oingo boingo and psychedelic furs very unique sounds very specific instrumentation very unique vocalists you can make parallels of psychedelic furs and oingo boingo to talking heads not that david byrne and danny elfman and you know that not that they're the same people by any stretch of imagination though they carry a similar energy, but just the idea of very specific sounds, very unique instrumentation, experimentation of experimentation is probably the, is the, is the thread Exper- I would say there. Yeah. Experimentation. And I think that you recognize in that, like, Oh, they're trying something that isn't an 808 synth or just pretty standard eighties new wave vibe where it's very twinkly. It's very uh, early stage twee. And and just the idea of it being a little bit more ragged, a little bit more frantic, a little bit more experimental. I think that's really yeah. the best way to, to describe that. And I feel like compared to some of the more not better known is the wrong word, but pervasive eighties sounds and like yeah, of this new wave era, this the specific combination, the specific sauce that got developed between those bands 
did a better job, or at least, at least psychedelic furs bridging forward now and certainly talking heads, did a better job of occasionally rearing its head in in the sound of popular music continuing forward like talk there they were not that the the influence is a little more subtle but it kept popping back up instead of just simply disappearing because of that experimentation because of playing with you know bringing in horns trying world doing doing things with world music that sort of thing yeah i don't i don't, I don't think i have much more to say to that other than you know this particular psychedelic first album is one that i wasn't overly familiar with the one that i'm more familiar with is forever now which has their main kind of song that's known to mm -hmm. most american audiences which is love my way yeah. and that is an album that goes a little bit more towards new wave gets away from some of that art rock post-punk sound i like for i like you know forever now more but that's because i tend to lean more of that twinkly more uh, you know kind of synthy new wave sound and i too like some of that raggedness that edge that was my gang of four drop was that mm -hmm. on steroids but yeah. just sometimes when you're able to mesh the two extremely well it, it makes magic and i really think that this album you know even though i like forever now more this was the better album because it mer it meshed enough things to make it a great talking point so kudos to my brother that, that was a great job yeah you mentioned last week one of our closing arguments. Just you, you use us as the beginning of the season. Like, what do we think everybody's going to do? And I'm at least getting a sense of what I want everyone to do. I want Chris to take me on a world-spanning journey across different continents and places that I'm unfamiliar with. And I want Dan to not screw this up. I want <laughs> I want to get more of this because he's in a he's in dangerous territory. Like, there's there's definitely yeah. um, there are potholes on this on this road and I'm hoping he sidesteps them because this was a great start, but mm -hmm. it's easy. It's easy to find yourself like hip deep drowning in a, like a eight foot pothole on the eighties soundtrack. Is this going to be fun to listen to in 2022 road? The phrase that we talk about in, in group is understanding the assignment, you know? And I think when we say that we do that a little bit pejoratively and a little bit kind of, poking the bear a little bit as to whether or yeah. not somebody quote unquote understands the assignment. And my takeaway of that is, did you make it listenable? Did you make yep. it entertaining? Did you come close to selecting the quote unquote right album, which again is another kind of sticking point in and of itself. Yeah, very, yeah. And did you give something that is going to be an interesting hang for 24 hours? Because if you pick an album, like you said, ton of potholes in 80 soundtracks, so many ways it could go wrong. If you pick something for 24 hours, or in this case, 48, Ooh. if you are sticking with the assignment, it's brutal. It is tough to listen to the same thing for seven to nine spins if you get that many in over two days that you're just like, I don't like this anymore, and I am going to rage quit, and it's just leave the lobby, and I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is a good... I, I don't. I'm we gonna, don't need I'm to belabor it, because we... Rage we, quit. <laughs> We talked about it a little bit in, um, in Chris's wonderful new um, when we need to do something in the middle of the podcast. Here's just us talking when we weren't supposed to be talking. Waxing poetic. Uh, well, yeah, about whatever. And we, so we got into Gang of Four a little bit, but I think that bridges nicely into the Gang of Four conversation again because you mentioned the 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 ragged vocal vocals and we were and this idea of which sounds survived and started to. And at least like popped up and intermittently influenced. And I think it's worth going back to Gang of Four because you guys 
I didn't know what you, you guys were talking while I was doing other things because I had nothing to contribute to a conversation with Gang of Four without listening to them. And Chris's note that like this is before these guys knew how to play their instruments was a fantastic lens to just experience the record through as a fresh listen. It was this is like really this is definitely another like why does why does this work even with that in the back of my head like it's just there was i, don't I know wrong if it's the no you weren't wrong the approach <laughs> it's, whether it's their approach whether it's their ferocity or whatever they end up doing but even as a full novice i can listen to this and and it's great to have that conclusively in the back of my head to be as rather than maybe like do these guys know what the bleep they're I'm, I'm trying to save chris time do these guys know what the what the bleep they're doing or is it just me but like nope i knew when it got started okay so there are going to be times this record where i'm going to think to myself i don't think these guys are very good at playing music but it's still really fun and it's very enjoyable and stood the test of time as far as we who do we compare it to greg who was there who's the so, contemporary so that we I, I want to put a pin on that for a second. I want to hear Chris's okay. point first because that's the question yeah, I want to come back to yeah, on, sure. the, on the influences point. But I want to hear Chris's point because I think he has an interesting he had a note. What you're saying here. You yeah. know, we talk about this in, in sports, in athletics, and we'll just – it could be any sport, basketball, football, baseball, whatever. There are three types of players. There are, so, there are the players who are great technicians and tacticians. There are the players who just use – who are just, you know, overpowering. They were gifted from God with this immense, you know, physical ability. I know. And then, and then there are people who just are great because they grind and gut it out every single time. Hustle. They do nothing. Everything you look at it, it's ugly, it's raw, it's unrefined. And yet it somehow shouldn't work. it shouldn't work. And yet somehow you get the job done. They get the job done and are great despite that. This is what Gang of Four is. They are in that category, a hundred percent. And they're st they were in that category then. They're in that category now. And their most recent re releases, it doesn't matter. It works just because it works. Which which brings me to the question. I think that's a really interesting transition point because the counterpoint is something that is a little bit more technically sound, at least on the music side. Vocally, I know his vocals mileage varies widely we're not discussing but, a lot of strong vocalists this week that's that's let's <laughs> let, that's, that's certainly a note let's certainly oh, a note oh, and i'm going to continue it with the album i actually want to talk about uh but but ultimately i think the question that came up was who ends up being the most influential not the most known not the most successful not the most critically acclaimed the most influential of the post-punk punk sounding bands gang of four or the clash and the Clash was the band that ultimately we compared to in the chat and where I think we landed. And I think it's the right answer. I think it's Gang of Four. I think Gang of Four ends up being the more influential band over the span of what punk music becomes. Because if you yeah. listen to The Clash, it's, you know, talking heads made punk. It's just very experimental. They're trying a lot of different things. They're they're the I mean, the vocalists, David Byrne and Joe Strummer, like that's. I don't even, that's laughable. I don't even want to go down that road. The but just, Clash's long-term outlook gets muted by, by like ska becoming a joke in the mid nineties. So, it, yes. so they don't get to continue their influence for, for the, from that point to now, like it just it dies on the vine. Their appreciation gets crystallized in time and they get, icon, they, they become icons, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily become influencers to new sound. And Gang of Four being the lesser known, still being, you know, popular in their own right in, in the circles that they exist in. But they ultimately become the band of like kind of like Velvet Underground. I think about that like I think about Velvet Underground, like bands that came after them maybe aren't necessarily better or more accomplished or 
more tuned to be able to play their instruments better than they probably were. But I think that the things that come after Gang of Four are just as interesting in, uh, as Gang of Four. Whereas I think the things that come after The Clash are hidden under The Clash's shadow and become kind of jokey, like yeah. you said. Mm. So I, I think Gang of Four ends up being the more influential of the two. And that may be an interesting hot take. I don't think it is, but I'm, I'm curious. I to know hear more of it from like even from 2000 on. I hear more. I said this the day of. I hear I hear more of this influence in indie and sort of a non-alternative rock music i hear way more of what happened on this gang of four record than anything we listened to on the day of the clash well it's interesting because when you talk about this this style of music there are three basic categories of this as well you have your gang of fours down here and groups of that ilk gang of four uh wire had another one on the top of my head i can't think of but these are the bands that were truly like you can tell influenced the bands that followed them you ha and then you have the Clash, you have the Ramones, you have the Sex Pistols, which are very popular. They're very popular, but how many bands are going out and trying to emulate them? Really, not that many. The middle ground is when you get through like the the Buzzcocks and the Jam, which kind of sit in that middle ground. Yeah, you can hear where they influence people. Yeah, they were pretty popular in their time, but this Gang of Four Wire base level of artist is the one that really drove the sound forward. 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, that that's sort of the bellwether that people look back to, artists look back to when they're listening to music and deciding that is something I would like to try to emulate. You know, and and the reason why I'm glad that you, you brought it back to Gang of Four real quick and we can kind of move forward after this is I talked a couple of weeks ago, episode 23, I think it was, about how I listen to music and how I drop music and ultimately how I select the things that I select. This is all about mood. This is all about vibe. There's not a ton of excellence here on the vocal side. There's not a ton of excellence here. There's no excellence on the instrumental side. It just is just a cacophony of sound. But ultimately, it is just punch after punch after punch after punch. It's a mosh pit of a record. And I love that because it just gets you fired up. And that's what I wanted. I wanted because I'm used to very smooth, very subtle, very just like they're rich flavors, but they're not necessarily aggressive. This aggressive album and it doesn't hide it. And I love that about it. So that's why I was glad that you guys appreciated it because it's a it's an album I found a long while ago back when we were in school, but like never really talked to anybody about how much they appreciated it really outside of Chris. Like it's, you know, not too many people know about it. And really, I think my big takeaway of that is just like I'm a huge Block Party fan. How much Block Party took from Gang of Four? Like that was kind of my mm -hmm. other takeaway that I learned about kind of re-listening to yeah. entertainment again. I th the the record is propelled by its its ferocity for sure. Now, yep. on the other end of the ferocity spectrum, oh god, <laughs> this past week, Greg, if I could if I could set you up to uh to to pull get out your get out your cookware and maybe maybe uh, saute a little bit here. You know what? I think I think this might be more. Um, take a little bit of ice cream out of the freezer. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe a little brownie that you made. Put it in the microwave. I love we have a metaphor up. show. I love a good metaphor show. We got we got sports metaphors. We're cooking. I love it. You know you know this is this is a this is a dessert record because ooh wee it is so sweet sweet, sweet sounding just poppy and I'm talking about Aaron Fraser's introducing who is the drummer of Duran Jones and the Indications came out with a solo album last year and it was dropped. He redeemed himself in my eyes. I don't know about everybody mm -hmm. else, but he redeemed himself in my eyes because this is right in my wheelhouse. Dear sweet Ray, you've, you've answered my call. 
And mwah, I love you for it, buddy. I love you for it. It's just everything about this. And I know you guys are probably going to be like, this was God awful. And I hated my oh, day with it. No, no, at least no way. And so I'm, I'm glad that that's not the takeaway because there's a lot of this that doesn't work. Like it is very much a fifties throwback is kind of his aesthetic. It's just Frankie Valley. Like that's kind of the lens to think about this album or how I thought about this album in terms of what his approach of what he was trying to do with it. It's doo-wop, it's 50s, it's meant to evoke that very like kind of malt shop, poodle skirt, 50s Cadillac type vibe, but done with a neo-soul kind of underpinning to it. Uh, and that's that Duran Jones influence, where they took a lot of the, the edge, a lot of the bite out of Duran Jones. Again, not a ton there, but whatever was there just kind of gets taken from it and it's just smooth just silky just that nice rich vanilla ice cream over that delicious chocolate brownie the whipped cream and a cherry on top Mwah, delicious <laughs> i love this it takes it takes Only. duran jones and it's like nah this this is too chunky we need to we need to puree this a little bit more take some of those edges off and that's like taking creamy peanut butter and just make it into oil and, and peanut sauce separated <laughs> it was like it's not creamy enough we need it creamier no, it's I good. didn't. To be, go ahead. Oh, no, oh no, no. the metaphor's not done. No, keep no, going. No, I love it. I, I'm done with the metaphor. I didn't have anywhere That's to go. A, I, Chris and I both. You, you, you've, you've read us wrong. This was, this was a good, this was a good hang. This is, this is definitely in that good hang tier. Um, like you said, it's very creamy. It's very velvety. It gives you a nice, gives you a nice groove throughout the day, throughout most of the record. But like I spent, like, I, like I love "Can't Leave It Alone." That song's great. Really enjoy it. Um, my, my. Two notes here. Ray is this was set up in a uh, to to uh, could have been a beautiful if it had blown up in his face. One of the running jokes, says some any longtime listeners that aren't in the group, I know, is that Ray always picks the wrong album. So Ray introduced the album by telling us that he had thought about dropping Duran Jones and ultimately went with this. So right off the bat, I was like, "Ooh, we got we got Ray picks the wrong record potential." Just right off the bat, it's we can just start the jokes now. Can't wait. Sounds good. But my other note was from another Ray drop, and not just a Ray drop, but Ray is the one who introduced me to Mayor Hawthorne. So my mm -hmm. that's my biggest comparison point here. So not to say that I didn't enjoy this, but one of the things I noted day of was this is this only this suffers only in comparison to something like that because they are so close and interrelated and I think something like Mayor like Mayor Hawthorne just he's got a little bit more pop. The songs are a little bit more interesting. This is going for smooth and rich and creamy. It's not trying to get it's not necessarily the bop, right? So the, and the I first, think I like that a little bit more. The first comment I made two songs in was, so this is Mayor Hawthorne doing Curtis Harding. And mm -hmm, that yeah. was just the first two songs in. I was like, take the that that silky, velvety kind of easy flow of Mayor Hawthorne and add the neo soul kind of like, I don't necessarily want to call it baseful because there's not a ton of bass here. But it is just like just enough that it's not over the top sugary sweet. It has mm -hmm. just enough depth of richness to it that Curtis Harding tries to do in a lot of his songs where, but he can't match vocally either of them. I think Mayor Hawthorne and Curtis Harding just do so much dynamically as a vocalist that someone yeah. like Aaron Fraser is just like, you can tell he's trying to strike out on his own because Duran Jones is very similar of like, that's a rich vocalist with a ton of bass and a ton of baritone and just very vibrant vocal. Fraser has a narrower vocal lane and he seems Much to know narrower. it and but but he uses he uses it he stay he knows what he should be yeah. doing and that Absolutely. that holds the album together even if it's not as 
vocally dynamic as the two aforementioned artists. Because he 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 knows the lane and he stays. Yeah. If he tries to go outside of his lane, it's going to careen off the guardrails and it's going to crash and burn. But he he stays in his lane and it works. Yep. And it works. I mean, I'll I'll keep going with the food metaphors just a a minute longer here because yes, because it works. And I did enjoy this, and it is creamy and silky smooth, like you said. The problem is it's like soft serve ice cream. The first few bites, it's creamy, it's silky yep. smooth, it's great. But then mm-hmm. the more time you spend with it, it gets more watery and it just starts to it melts. melt and fall You're waiting apart. to hit some crumbles, some cookie crumbles in there, maybe a little Oreo. Uh, little Oreo. No, there, there's little, no crumbles in this record, though. There's no Oreo. There's, there's no crumbles. There's, there's nothing to, to help. There's nothing to help prevent the erosion. A jack of chips. As, as, so the further you go into this, it just... It wears on you a little bit. I'm not saying it's bad. Yeah. It's just you, the second half of the record, you're just like, I'm kind of over this now. But if you broke it up and listened to like four, three or four songs, then you would let it let it rest for an hour. Put it back in the freezer. It's a very breezy, put it back it's in the a freezer breezy for, vibe too. Yeah. That doesn't help it. Put it back in, in the freezer for an hour. Let it firm up a little bit. And then you come back to it. Now, take another three or four songs. Listen to it. Put it back in the freezer. Finish it. Then it, it's it's much more enjoyable if you do something like that. I, I would be remiss to say that I do have one critique of this, and this is mm-hmm. not on Ray. This is just on navigating these particular genres of soul, neo soul, R and B. My wife Marisa, who I love dearly, Aww, we were listening to the Valentine's album Night Day. of Night Night. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well well played. Uh, we were listening to the album together, and she's uh, on the couch reading, and I'm sitting there listening to the to the album. And I show her the album art because uh, <laughs> Dan Auerbach came up because he produced the record. Yes, he did. And the album art is reminiscent of the pink and the lettering used for Let's Rock and El Camino, you know, together. So she heard one of the songs towards the end. I think Over You was the one that was very Black Keys adjacent. And I show her the album art to say like, oh, Dan Auerbach did the album. And she looked at the cover and he was like, and she was like, this is a white guy singing. I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, she was like, I thought this thing. was. I thought this was a black woman the whole time. And I was like, Ooh, now you can't oh. unhear it. <laughs> now you can't unhear it. And it's like, so it's funny because then that brought up another Ray drop, which was St. Paul and broken bones. Where yeah, you're I'm, like, I'm listening to bad news right now. And now it's back in my head. And I'm like, uh, yep, that's shocking that this is not a black woman. singing." And, and, and you're just, and you're, <laughs> and, and I would be remiss to say like, this it is, is the difficulty. Of of white male voices in this space is either A, you're potentially carpet bagging a scene that's not yours, or B, you're imitating a sound that's not yours. It's hard mm. to create. It's the white rapper guy problem, too, where it's you have to sound over the top to be authentic or you're seen as fake because you don't meet the criterion vocally, mm. lyrically, musically of those that exhibit or in, I guess, are a part of the same space. Uh, so that was like the one critique I had, and that's not on Ray, and that's not on this drop, and it didn't kill my love for it by any stretch of the imagination. That is a note that I would have been remiss to not point out. Sure, that's a good note. <laughs> that needed to be said. Good hang, though. Good hang. I thought you were going to oh, I got, no, I got nothing bad to say. I thought you were going to talk more about how the album art could have been judged up a little bit. It really is. Uh, it's not even the greatest uh, Photoshop clip I've ever seen. It's it's very. Uh, I mean. I mean, it's 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 milk toast. It's DIY. DIY. Like I, sure. Like it's an it's introduction album. He wants album. a pink album. It, it's called. He wants yeah. a pink album where he's front and center. Like I, I, I don't hate the guy on it. It's it's it's, it's, it's a it's a pink background for those of you who are trying to visualize it. It's a pink background with a Walmart portrait studio 
photograph. It's a bad album. And cover. Yeah. and uh, yeah. and uh, uh, written in a font that somebody spent fifteen bucks on on, the, on a font site for. It's the El Camino font. It's the El Camino font from the Black Keys record. It's yeah. the same font, just made bigger. Yeah. yeah. So they had to pay an extra fifteen bucks for another licensing fee for that font. It was probably Auerbach's font. He probably created it himself. He was like, "I'm just going to make a font. This is mine now, so I don't have to pay anybody because I produced the thing." <laughs> Uh, so that leaves us, uh, you know, we, we got through a good chunk of the records, got through a good chunk of the albums. Any notes on Ugly Casanova or Pete Yorn before, you know, closing that down? I don't have, so I don't want to, someone else can glance over Pete Yorn. Hopefully he deserves to be spoken of highly. I just don't have anything of particularly compelling to say. I did want to have a slightly lar- broader ranging discussion that's going to involve me tipping um, a potential drop. But I want to get your, your opinion on this. And I don't care if somebody snipes me on it. No big deal. Um, so to give background on the ugly Casanova drop, it's Isaac Brock of Modest Mouse. And when in, when doing, or when releasing this project, he made up a fake person that he, is this, is this you saying you're going to drop Chris Gaines? Please tell me this is no, no, no. Chris Gaines, but Isaac Brock, but Isaac Brock makes up a guy so he can do a solo project. It seems like he was probably just like being weird. If he's just screwing with media people, great. If this was one of those, but if this was one of those, I want to do my own thing. So I need, but I don't want people to think that I got to get away from the band. I don't want them to know it's all me, but it's basically like cutting room floor. Mod- it's good, but it's cutting room floor, modest mouse songs. And it begged the question why. And I'm curious about the take, cause this is going on actually right now with, um, with Tom York's new band, the smile, a uh, relative supergroup. I forget who's in it. Chris might, uh, Chris might know or I'll be able stop. to grab it on top of it, but they're starting to play live shows. So they've got a couple songs up on Spotify. They're starting to play live shows. And the takeaway from this sort of critical community, and take what you will, these, you know, I, I like certain critics. I trust their opinion. I, I find it to be valid. The takeaway is basically, why isn't this just a new Radiohead album? Like the, that, it's, it's in that, and this reminded me very much of that, what is happening again right now, this album of why, why step away and do this thing if you're not actually going to, go anywhere particularly that per- diverges all that much from what you were doing with your band in the first place and i'm curious i'm curious as to where that's going to go with the smile i'm curious if it is a as a parallel to this because i don't know what the critical reception to this uh to ugly casanova at the time was or once it became clear that isaac brock had like made up this story about this super fan that had broken into his show and that he'd started working with because obviously that's a stalker and you you arrest that person it was very clearly <laughs> transparent from the beginning but um i i'm curious to, what your kind of takes on is it, it I, it's it's obviously okay you're an artist you've done well you want to go do some stuff on your own that's fine but like why yes. why why why? As the, as the as the person who I don't want to necessarily say I was the progenitor of this take because I'm not, but definitely the one I brought it up day of of like, why is this not just a modest mouse record? Like I don't yeah, understand. That's the what, question. What, and and I think for me, and the, ultimately the the answer that I came up with is kind of what you alluded to when you are a singular voice, usually the singer. I don't want to say always, but usually the singer, and you are attached to a group of musicians who you all go through the motions you all know the beats you know what that album looks like if you were to make that in terms of being a modest mouse album or any other type of album you know a radiohead album if you're talking about tom york in this particular situation too 
you want to do it where you don't have the same voices in the room. Uh, Chris Walla did this with, with Death Cab, too, and wanted to be yep. able to make his own record in his own space. And he did something that was appreciably different, and it was entertaining, but it's not a Death Cab record, and it could have been. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think ultimately when you working with the same guys for so long or you're working with the same band members for so long and you're the singular voice of that band, you want to see just for your own self-interest, can I do it? Am mm -hmm. I capable of being able to create something interesting, create something different, create something entertaining without them to show that maybe part of its ego, like I'm the reason why this band is successful. I'm the reason why. And I want to show everybody that that's true. But I think it has more to do with artistic endeavor and being like, I want to see if I can actually manage this on my own. It's more of an evolution thing than it is an ego thing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think all of these answers are are valid. That was my conclusion is really just if you just really want to, if you like you said, if you're the singular voice that kind of guides the sound of a popular band, you you've got to go very far out of your way to explore something new and get a totally different sound. And if the if the answer is just, I just wanted to go do something in isolation and try it out. And if it ends up sounding like Modest Mouse, that's fine. And this is and this what's this this like I said these critical takes on these live shows that the Smile are putting on are a little a slightly different than that. It's not Tom York doing something by himself with a handful of studio musicians he's put together a band with other known musicians and the take right now again is just like okay why didn't tom york just make this album with radiohead and i'm going to be very curious to see that investigated going forward because really any answer is valid i'm just curious about what they are and what the motivations are like the smile by the way it's the combination of tom york johnny greenwood and drummer tom skinner who plays drums in a london-based jazz and sort of Afrobeat outfit known as Sons of Kemet. Afrobeat, I circled it back. You circled it I'm back. I'm incredible. <laughs> I circled it all back. I tied a bow on a freaking Afrobeat drummer. Just happens to be in the smile. Are you kidding me? Yeah. We're we're great at this. The oh only comment goodness. I have about Ugly Casanova is it sounds like Isaac Brock trying to do Tom Waits. Yeah. Which is fair. That's completely fair. My my main takeaway, not to be my my offhanded uh, snarky comment was: this sounds like it's going to be a whole album of the last song from a Modest Mouse album. Like all that 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 Modest Mouse always closes with a particular type of less polished track, and this sounds like it's going to be an album full of those. It was still good. I want to be clear about that. I enjoyed yeah. it. I want to enjoy it, but it was fun, more fun to talk about it in this context than song by song. And as as for. Pete Yorn, honestly. Yeah, somebody I, say I, something I, nice about Pete Yorn. I was straightforward about it. I said, this is good. It's a solid album. He does good work. There's nothing bad to say about this. Mm -hmm. He's just Pete Yorn. I mean, that's like, sometimes you can just hit a, you know, hit a, hit a liner up the center, you know, up, up center field and hit a single, turn it, you know, hustle it out into a double on occasion. That's what this was. Mm -hmm. This was a hustle double. That's, and that's good. That's Pete Yorn. He's a hustle double of an artist. It's a good record. It's it's a record that was unfairly maligned, for sure. I mean, Undercover, or Nightcrawler, excuse me. Undercover being one of the best songs on this record. Nightcrawler is just, it's it's a really good record. The problem when this came out is everybody was looking for him to basically make Music for the Morning After Part 2. Day I Forgot Part mm -hmm. 2. This wasn't any of those things. And you look... This was a shift in sound for sure. It's a shift in sound. And it comes out in 2006. If this comes out in 2003, like Day I Forgot, it probably does a lot better. But you look 
at the sales and the chart position. Music for the Morning After took a long time to get traction, but it did go gold eventually. It only peaked at number 111 on the U.S. album charts, but it sold well over half a million copies. Day I Forgot peaked at number 18, but it sold about, let's say, according to the numbers I have in front of me, like 300,000 copies. Let's assume that. Nightcrawler, I don't have any numbers on it, but it peaked at number 50. It wasn't probably certified gold. And it's just, he's he's falling off at this point. It's like music sort of passed him by at that point. And it, it's not his fault. It's just the industry was changing. The sounds that were prevailing were changing. The sounds that college radio was shifting to at that point were changing. And, and I'll give him a ton of credit. And at he, the stayed, same, he stayed prolific. And at the same time, everybody wanted him. Yeah, this man's put out albums, man. I didn't realize Pete Yorm was around, period, let alone how much work he's put out since he was a radio phenom. But the craziest part about it is, when you think about it, everything is changing. And the one thing they didn't want to change was Pete Yorn. They wanted him to keep putting out the same exact album over and over again, and he was maligned for not doing it. And that's where it's unfair. That's where he deserved so much yeah. more credit than this deserved. I mean, yeah, maybe it was Butch Walker who has production credits on this album. But... Ooh. Butch Walker's a very good producer, actually, so I don't want to... I'm not going to say anything anything bad about him here, but... Butch, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on. I would love to talk to Butch Fascinating. Walker. We'd love to talk to you. That I would, would be after, a great conversation. I would love after, to hear after, that. After skewering your debut record, or whether it was the debut or not, and then having you co-sign our skewering, we would love to have you on the podcast. Massive, massive flex. Ma- I give Butch Walker huge all respect. the... Cr- all the credit Huge in the respect, world. Yeah. Because we that could have went sideways and turned into a flame war. And we're just like some podunk group out of South Jersey. And then ultimately yeah. be like, nah, bruh, same. I'm like, oh, right, cool. All right. Like, you're, you're good people. You're good people. I'm glad. He was like, he was like, why is that showing up on the timeline? Like, what is yeah. this? Like, this is like ghost of Christmas. kind Pets. to it. I was young. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. He was like, he was like, he was like, I knew, man. I knew that this was a problem. And I was like, you know what? That's a that's a that's a that's a good man and a humble man, and I give credit to humility. That's a good call. Dig it. Yeah, the last uh, so the last note I'll make about uh, Pete Yorn, and this is just one of the reviews please. that's out there on one of the major review sites, and I'll just quote like a two lines from it. Uh, here's the first: While the title may suggest something a little bit more dark and dramatic, Yorn embraces a warmer sound on of his previous work, wor- the warmer sound of his previous work to create a rich, picturesque batch of songs, which eventually goes into a line later on in the review. Overall, it breathes easily, and despite it missing, despite it missing the fire of his first record, it's a worthy piece of work. It's like damning with faint praise. Yeah, that's the backhanded compliment. And that's that's sort of the way this was treated. It didn't have the fire, quote unquote, of his first two records. I still think it's plenty good. I thought it was good mm-hmm. when it came out. I still think it's good now after having listened to it for a day. And you can't beat a Warren Zevon cover. You can't. Splendid Isolation is a Warren Zevon cover. Well, now I know. Warren Zevon. So on on that note, uh, any other talking points before getting into what some of the expectations are for next week? Because all three of us have album drops going into next episode. We do. I, I, so. I wasn't sure I did. I, I have know, no I know plan. You guys I, have, I have no plan. Yeah, because I have I have the weekend drop. Scott's got the drop before me. And then and then Chris, 
You get Valentine's Day. Oh. Ooh, Ooh, I do Chris, get Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day, Valentine's with Day, permission I? to go global, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited and thrilled. Quivering. Quivering know. with anticipation. I don't know. I, I have to see. I have, so, I have so many different thoughts of what might be good for Valentine's Day, whether it's global or not. But I have an interesting batch of global records lined up in my quiver. Global or just, in terms of sound, different than anything else that we've dropped in the 500 plus to date. They're not all necessarily quote-unquote global records, but they're stuff like, we haven't dropped this before. We haven't dropped that before. So I will say that the album I have planned for you this weekend is the artist that's probably the most name-dropped that hasn't been dropped yet. Mm. See, it's not fair because I already know the answer, so I'm not going to tip the hand at all. But I'll let Scott I'm going to have let's, fun with it, and I, I'm really interested to see what the group does with it. I will right. let Scott think about this one for a moment. Oh, I got nothing. I don't <laughs> want to spoil it. I want to be surprised. Yeah. I'm not going to think about it for a moment. I want it, I want uh, it to uh, be and, fresh. And, I and it's, a, refuse, it's, a mul- it's a multimedia weekend. Mm, it is. There's a second component to it. Yes, there is. That's true. Outstanding. So I'll leave it at that. All righty. Fantastic. Chris, ask us where they can find us on social media. Scott, where can they find us on social media? On Twitter, we're at Album Consumers. I am flawless record so far for updating for like two weeks now. I know that doesn't sound like much, but I've historically been very bad at it. I still need to post last week's podcast, but I got the album in today. And uh, yeah, we're trying, trying, to, trying to keep you guys abreast of the daily listening Please listen along so these podcasts make more sense and aren't just uh, us being entirely self-indulgent. Greg, where can Greg, they find us on social on, media? What about other spaces? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well thank, thank you for this, the social media chorus. You can find us on Instagram at, at Album Consumers. We are caught up through today's last album, which was Pete Yorn's Nightcrawler. So there's an album that was dropped in the particular episode we're in, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. You'll oh, have I haven't even looked. Next week to be able to find that or you could just search on instagram and it'll be up probably in the next day yeah. or two what is, uh, yeah well so, you'll, you yeah. can know tomorrow you could know tomorrow or whenever you which hear this won't podcast be it'll tomorrow most likely be when up. time travel <laughs> but it could be today which could have been yesterday you really have no idea when we're recording this so your guess is as good as ours like an easter egg you left for yourself one of those little russian nesting dolls it just opens and opens and then in the middle mm. there's nothing I love sadness. I, I love me a Russian nesting doll. Actually, joy. There's joy in the middle of it. Let's let's be honest. There is joy. Fantastic. I approve 100%. Thanks for doing this, guys. Thanks for listening to Thanks. AC Pod number 25. Made the big two five, fellas. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for hanging with me too, guys. I love doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, we love we love bringing you all this information. And yes, there is a certain amount of indulgence to hearing ourselves talk. That's always fun. But at the same time, uh, we like bringing the people good music. And that's what we're going to keep trying to do. Yeah. Love you, boys. Love you. Love you guys. We'll see you next time. You're on. Right.